0: let's meditate briefly or I'll meditate briefly with you and then you continue meditating while I talk. Okay.
1: So get comfortably in position. I think thoughts a goodwill. Goodwill
0: is a wish for true happiness, as we said. And spread it around because true happiness comes from within there's no conflict between your true happiness and anyone else's so when you wish goodwill for yourself extend goodwill to yourself it's not a selfish thought but it's the main motivation for the practice same as when you have goodwill for others. You remind yourself that you're looking for happiness that is going to be harmful to no one. So you want to develop your own internal resources
1: as a way of finding that happiness.
0: Tell yourself, may I be truly happy? May I understand the causes of true happiness and be willing and able to act on them? And then extend the same thought to others. Starting with people close to your heart and then moving out never in never widening circles.
1: And then bring your attention to the breath.
0: It's good to start with some good, long, deep, in and out breaths to emphasize the feeling of breathing in the body.
1: Find your spot where it's clearest.
0: Then ask yourself if long breathing is comfortable. Start adjusting things. So you find a breath that's not too long, not too short, not too heavy, not too light. When it feels just right from the needs of the body and the needs of the mind right now. Of course, those needs may change. So stay on top of what the body needs and stay on top of what your mind needs right now. And then as the breath gets comfortable, we start surveying through the body. See what feels best for you. Starting down at the navel, moving up the front of the torso, through the head, down the shoulders and the arms, down the back, out the legs. Go at your own pace. Then when you're ready, you can settle down and just be at one spot. Think of your awareness spreading from that spot to fill the whole body. Like the light of a candle in an otherwise dark room. The flame of the candle is in one spot, but its light fills the entire room. Try to maintain that centered but enlarged awareness as best you can. If it begins to blur out, go back to the survey of the body, section by section. But otherwise, learn how to stay right there, clear, centered. And you meditate while I talk. This afternoon, we'll talk about how to approach the issue of death from the perspective of the Buddha's awakening. Remember that you had three analogies: the first, that death, death is followed by rebirth, and then we go through many levels of being. Or it's possible to go through many levels of being. The second knowledge he saw that what determines those levels of being is our karmic record, the actions we've done, both in the past and in the present moment. His first interest was in the present moment at death. The choices that the mind makes, whether it has right view or wrong view at that moment. But that led him in the third note. Third knowledge to look more carefully at his mind in the present moment to see what actions were leading to death, aging, birth, becoming, clinging, craving, just going down the list. Look at them simply as actions without paying attention to who was doing the action. Just the principle of action in and of itself. And discover that that was the way to avoid the issue of. That's dilemma that's created by the fact that both craving for becoming and craving for non becoming can lead simply to more becoming. It's through seeing those actions and learning how to develop dispassion for them. That was what led to his experience of the deathless. Now, the lessons we can learn from that have to do both with preparing for a good rebirth, if we can't totally reach the deathless. but also learning what we can do as we, as we meditate to learn the skills that would be necessary. We're finding that deathless element. The Buddha recommends mindfulness of death as a meditation practice. In fact, that's the context in which he talks about being in the present moment or focusing on the present moment. present moment is not a good in and of itself but it's the place where the work has to be done. And so when he's talking about recollection of death, you're not thinking simply death, 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 death. death. You're thinking, given the fact that death can come at any time, and that the state of my mind at death, and also the karmic record that I've developed up to that point, will have a huge impact on where I'm going to go. There's work I've got to do. And the work you can do falls into two main categories. One is simply the things you can do in order to create good options for rebirth in case you need them for the moment of death. And the other is mastering the skills in the present moment so you understand what are these actions that lead to becoming, that lead to craving, and how can I learn how to deal with them more skillfully so I don't have to slip off into an unskillable Unskillful birth at that time. So, in terms, so the first category, creating good karma in advance to create good options. The most basic list that the Buddha gives for the things you have to do is to develop conviction, virtue, generosity, and discernment. Now, conviction—we've already talked about—it's basically conviction in the Buddha's awakening, that what he learned in the night of his awakening. Really is a good guide to how we should look at our lives. I was talking with a Zen teacher one time and said, You turn buttons, you you, you, you have you have faith in your practice, right? And he said, Yes. Well, would what, what you have faith in anything more specific than just faith in the Dharma? And I said, Yes, we have faith in the Buddha's awakening. This, for us, is the central event around which we shape our lives. Then, based on that, There's a quality of virtue, and our virtue is observing the precepts. The precept against killing, stealing, illicit sex, lying, and taking intoxicants. That third quality, generosity. When when the Buddha was asked, where should the gift be given? He says, where you feel inspired. Generosity is our first taste of free will. We do have choices. We have things that we could keep for ourselves. But we decide that, no, we'd rather share them with someone else. You realize that you're not a slave to your cravings. You can step back from your cravings. And think about long-term consequences and gradations of pleasure. There's the pleasure of consuming something, but there's also greater pleasure that comes as you learn how to share what you have in excess. And then finally, with discernment, it's defined as discernment of arising and passing away that is penetrated. So I'd like to, like to talk a little bit about the fact that even though these are said to be qualities that are there to prepare you for good options when the option of rebirth comes, they also shade into the training of the mind. Conviction, of course, points you where? If you have conviction in the Buddhist awakening, the main lesson you learned, of course, was the forcible truths. Suffering comes from within, comes from our actions, comes from our clinging and craving. So if you truly have conviction in the Buddhist awakening, you're going to start looking inside, observing your mind. Similarly with virtue, when you take on the precepts, the precept is that you're not going to intentionally do any of those things. You cannot break a precept unintentionally. In other words, if you happen to step on a bug not knowing that it's there, or if you say something that you think is true, but it turns out that it's not true, neither of those actions will break a precept. So as you take on the precepts, you focus more and more attention on your Intentions. At the same time, you have to develop qualities of mindfulness, alertness, ardency, mindfulness to keep the precept in mind, alertness to watch what you're doing as you're doing it. Then ardency is to stick with it. There will be cases where you will have to make sacrifices in order to maintain your precepts, which you're willing to put out the effort. There's three qualities, ardency, alertness, and mindfulness are qualities that are developed in mindfulness, mindfulness practice and concentration practice. So you're preparing yourself to meditate as you take on the precepts. With generosity, the Buddha focuses on how the the rewards of generosity are not just a matter of the gift you give or to whom you give it, but a lot of it has to do with the motivation with which you give. There's one passage where he talks about the the different kinds of motivation you might have. And in the very first one, it sounds like he's starting out with a catch-22. He's recommending that one of the rewards of generosity is that you would be reborn in a good place. But he says one of the lowest motivations for generosity is that I will enjoy this after death. In other words, I'm going to get this back with interest. But he doesn't say it's a bad motivation. He talks about the different levels of davis and how different motivations correspond to different levels of diva lands that you might go to after death this would be the four great kings, which is not a bad place to be. But he says there are higher motivations, and he encourages them. The next higher one is simply that giving is good. It's a good thing to be generous. Higher than that is that you have a family custom of being generous, and you will maintain your family custom out of respect for your parents and your ancestors. An even higher motivation is seeing that there are people who are not well-off, lawyers, you are well-off. It's not right that you don't share sense of obligation when you have something that other people don't and higher motivation which there have been great giving gift giving sacrifices in the past and you can give in that same way higher motivation still is that it makes the mind serene when you're generous you a sense of gratification joy arise then finally higher than that is the sense of this ornament of the mind at that point you don't need anything anymore from the generosity was just a good thing to have. So here again, the, the practice of generosity makes you more and more sensitive to what's going on in, in each of these cases. You're basically talking to yourself about why, you, why you're giving. And the Buddha's encouraging you to have some more sensitivity to different motivations that you might have for being generous. As for discernment, it says penetrative knowledge of arising and passing away. It's not simply watching things coming and going. To be penetrative, the knowledge has to, one, see what is the origination of these things that are coming and going in the mind, these, these, whatever it is that I'm experiencing. And origination basically means causation. And when the Buddha uses the word origination, nine times out of ten, it's origination coming from within. The causes are things that are coming from your own mind. Then beyond that, to be penetrative, your discernment has to see which things that arise should be encouraged to stay and which should not be encouraged to stay. So you're getting more and more sensitive to what's going on in the mind and the effect that certain mind states will have learning, encouraging yourself to develop skillful mind states and to get rid of unskillful mind states. So even though this would be classified as one of the practices for preparing yourself for a good rebirth in in the future, it's also pointing you more and more to your mind in the present moment. And this way it gives you practice in getting ready to, to meditate. Now, in addition to those four qualities, conviction, virtue, generosity, and discernment. There are other lists. There's passages where they're talking about the qualities that would make you a deva. And that list has those four qualities, plus learning. Here would be learning of the dharma. Now, back in those days, when you learned the dharma, it simply wasn't a matter of reading, but you would find good passages that you found inspiring. You would memorize them. And this is a practice I, I would encourage because you think about what's going kind of sloshing around in your mind as a result of having been exposed to TV and the internet, one of the monks here at the monastery tells a story about when he was an exchange student down in Mexico. And they had a big party for these visiting gringos. And the Mexican students would sing folk songs. And then they turned to the Americans and said, okay, could you sing us some American folk songs. And the American students looked at one another and they didn't know any folk songs. So they ended up singing Gilligan's Island and <laughs> you know, other commercial jingles. <laughs> so... If that's the kind of stuff you have in your mind, it might be good to replace it with, with some good poly passages or, or poly passages translated in English and just learn to memorize them running over your mind so that these things are with you when you need them. I know in my own case, after John Foon passed away, that first year at the monastery was a difficult year because we had people coming in from outside trying to take over the monastery and it created a lot of difficulties. And time and again, I would be thinking about well, what would a John Fung do to handle this case? And his words would come right back to me. He, he, one time he said this, another time he said that, and that was what kept me going. Well, I was having that in my mind. It's one of the reasons why I wrote the book "Awareness Itself" was to keep those things in mind and to share them with other people. So it's good to have good short dharma passages that you that you can hold in mind. That's the way of giving you strength and giving you guidance when you need it. Another one of the practices that leads to good rebirth is the practice of the Brahma Viharas. Goodwill for all beings, compassion for all beings, empathetic joy for all beings, and equanimity with regard to all beings. And the Buddha says if you make a constant practice of this, it can have a very high impact on your opportunities to be reborn in the Brahma world. For either one, two, four, even 500 aeons, he says. So that's another way that you can prepare for good options that will be available to you at the moment of death if you develop these skills in advance. Now, yes, you're developing these skills, remember, as I said earlier, this is going to require a certain amount of effort, this practice, a certain amount of dedication. And you'll have to be developing a skillful sense of self around these. So don't be afraid of that sense of self. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, if you do concentration practice, it requires a lot of effort, and effort requires a sense of self. And we all know sense of self is a bad thing. Well, if the sense of self is developed around comparing yourself with other people, yes, that is unskillful. But the sense of self that says, okay, I'm capable of doing this, I will benefit from it. I am the responsible one who's going to be responsible for my birth or my how I handle aging, illness, and listen to death, that sense of self is going to be necessary. So don't be afraid of developing that. As long as you're not on the verge of our handship, you need a sense of self to motivate yourself to act. So those are some things you can do as preliminaries to prepare good options to be available for you at the moment of death. Then those are things you do as you focus in on the present moment in your meditation. Again, you're here, as the Buddha says, because there's work to be done. particularly you want to learn about the steps that are going to be leading the craving because remember that image the Buddha had rebirth is like a fire being blown from one building to another building and in those days they believed that the fire had to feed on something in order to burn in this case it would feed on the wind carrying it from one building to another we know how winds can be and we know how fires can be in winds they can spread in all directions and they're pretty blind so you want to be able to learn how to gain some control over your cravings this is the big Focus of learning to meditate in the present moment is getting some control over your cravings. Yeah. We'll notice. I'm just noticing in passing that when the Buddha focuses on meditation, when you start, he actually focuses your attention on two of the main factors in the sequence that lead up to craving and dependent arising. One is feeling, how feeling leads to craving, and the other is fabrication. Remember, fabrication is the first factor that occurs in the list after after ignorance. So, for example, when you're developing concentration, you've got the three types of fabrication. You've got the in and out breath as your object, that's bodily fabrication. Directed thought and evaluation as you talk to yourself about the breath and adjust the breath. And then mental fabrication, um, which will be feelings and perceptions, the feeling of ease that you're trying to create as you focus on the breath, and the perceptions of the mental images that you hold in mind to keep it there. And these are the things that need to be put together in order to at the mind in concentration. And as you work with these things, you'll find that you get hands-on experience with these different kinds of fabrications, so that instead of doing them in ignorance, you'll be doing them in knowledge. And that turns from a cause of suffering into part of the path. Similarly with feeling. Feeling is one of those fabrications. It can lead to craving, but if you look at your feelings and learn how to analyze them the same way to talk about this morning. So as you get some distance from them and not feel so truly overwhelmed by them, then you're not so likely to jumping for whatever craving comes your way. So this is the main focus in the present moment in the practice is focusing on these factors of independent rising Actually whichever factor you find most congenial to focus on. Some people find name and form, other people find different factors to be good. But what's in every case, in, in core arising, it's things that are happening in the present moment, and you're trying to understand cause and effect. So you focus your attention on the present moment, you focus on these things as they're happening, in and of themselves. Think of the Buddhist formula for mindfulness, you're focusing on the body in and of itself, putting ardent alert and mindful, putting aside greed and distress and preference to the world, or you're focusing on feelings or mind states. In each case, you're looking at these things in and of themselves, actions in the present moment, and you're not concerned about what you want in the world outside remember your sense of the world outside is part of becoming and as you're being pushed out of one becoming you don't want to say well i just want to go to another becoming whatever shows up so you have to learn how to focus on this frame of reference which is the thing in and of itself the experience in and of itself without reference to the world outside doing this because as the buddha said we have to deal with dangers that are coming up and this is one of the aspects of mindfulness practice that is often underplayed they talk about mindfulness being accepting and open but the buddha often talks about okay there has to be a sense of urgency as you develop your mindfulness and as it develops in the concentration because there are dangers all around you think of the image of the quail that's caught by the hawk because it wandered in the wrong territory or the monkey that's been caught because it wandered into the wrong territory got caught in a monkey trap there's the image of the gatekeeper at the fortress, has to make sure that no enemies come in, in other words, no unskillful states come in. There's the image of your head being on fire, and you have to be very mindful to put the fire out. So, again and again, when the Buddha is talking about mindfulness, the images they give rise to a sense of urgency, and you're counteracting dangers. When you apply this to breath meditation. This is one of the one of the types of meditation which gives a lot of emphasis on fabrication. If you think about the first tetrad and breath meditation instructions, the Buddha talks about calming bodily fabrication. Now, bodily fabrication here means your in-and-out breath. And you might ask, well, why is he talking about it in such tactical terms? Why can't he just say calm the breath? He's trying to get you to see the role of fabrication, the role of your intentions in the way you breathe. Similarly, in the Second tetrad, when he talks about being sensitive to mental fabrication and calming mental fabrication, he wants you to see these processes of fabrication and to learn how to manipulate them. It's in manipulating them that you get awareness and knowledge of them. I've talked to some people who say, well, if you're working on the breath, what are you going to do when you die? You won't be able to be with your breath anymore. Well, in working on the breath, you're going to become more and more sensitive to these processes of fabrication. That's precisely what the Buddha wants you to look at. Not just a vague awareness of your awareness, but simply where is the fabrication going on in your mind right now? Where are your tensions in the mind right now? In what direction are they leading? This is the purpose of breath meditation, is to get you sensitive to those things. Now there's a tradition in the forest tradition that says basically that when you're meditating like this, you are preparing you're learning the skills you're going to need when you, when you die. And the Buddha himself seems to say as much there's a passage where he goes in and sees the monks in the sick ward and he says, look, approach, approach death, mindful and alert. And it defines alert, of course, being alert to what you're doing and the results of what you're doing. Mindfully, he defines in terms of the, the establishments of mindfulness. So as you're trying to get the mind centered like this, and the, these are the instructions where you get into concentration. You're, you're basically learning the skills that you will need as you die now the things that are going to come in at that moment are, are basically the same problems that you encounter as you meditate in other words the hindrances these are the things that get in the way of mind poses, they get in the way of concentration and they get in the way of discernment in the passages where the buddha talks about mind states that you have to watch out for as you're approaching death. four out of the five hindrances are mentioned explicitly um, sloth and torpor is the only one that's not mentioned but because sloth and torpor would obscure your mindfulness and alertness, and it's implicit there that this is something you've got to watch out for. So, what are the five hindrances? You've got sensual, sensual desire. At the moment of death, you're going to be strongly attached to the body and to thoughts of sensual pleasures. This is one problem. Um, ill will, which might be directed at others for their past bad actions, wanting to see them punished. Think of what the Buddha had to say about that to the soldier asked him, my, my, my teachers told me that if I die in battle, I will go to the heaven of, of those heroes slain in battle. And what does the Buddha have to say about this? So the Buddha, in line with the etiquette at the time, decided this is not a topic you wanted to talk about. But this, the soldier asked him three times, so the Buddha had to answer. So I said, well, it, basically, if you're thinking, may these beings be destroyed, may these beings be, be harmed. As you, if you die at that moment, okay, your, your mind would pull down to the hell of those, Slain in battle. In other words, it's precisely ill will that you have for people at that time. The other example they give us, he gives us, of the bandits sawing you up with that saw. If you have ill will for them, you're going to be reborn in a bad place, a place that would wants to get back at them. And we have to be careful about ill will because one of the ways in which ill will disguises itself is as justified anger, the desire for justice. You want to see somebody get their just desserts. They see someone who's going unpunished for their. Or the misdeeds, and you say, "I this person really deserves to to suffer." That is ill will. The ideal thing would be to take the attitude that the Buddha had toward Anuruddha. Seeing that even though Anuruddha had murdered all those people, still he had the potential for awakening, and he could avoid a lot of suffering by awakening. So we know, I think we know the story that after he became a monk, there were a lot of people who were still upset about the fact that literally he was getting away with murder. They would throw things at him when he was on his own chart. but that's that was going to be for their long term harm because here he was, here he was. So you have to watch out for your desire to see that justice be done because it can lead you to a bad rebirth. A rebirth that's based on thoughts of revenge or based on thoughts of wanting to avenge something, it's a bad rebirth, you don't want to go there. And their sloth and torpor is the third hindrance. It obscures your mindfulness and alertness. Worry, in other words, restless and anxiety, can also be a big hindrance at the moment of death. You'll be worried over the future of your loved ones, or concerned for any punishments that you may have for your own past misdeeds. These are the two big worries that the Buddha addresses. So that's something you'll have to want to counteract. And then finally, a doubt and uncertainty comes from not seeing the true Dharma. In other words, you haven't had an experience of the deathless yet. So there's going to be some doubts. Did you know, the Buddha really know what he's talking about? You know, until you received, still you excuse me, until you gain the drama eye, there's still going to be some doubt. So this is one of the things you have to work on is what can I do to meditate in order to have that experience so I can overcome this doubt. Now the antidotes for these of the five, the first one that has to be addressed is uncertainty, because if you don't believe what the Buddha had to say or are not confident in what he had to say, then it's going to be hard to. Counteract the other hindrances at that moment of death to see them as the big problem facing you. So the Buddha gives various ways of addressing doubt prior to stream entry. The first one is he what might we call his the Buddha's wagers. We all know Pascal's wager. But if, however, if there is, is a God, it's a good thing to obey him. If there is no God, that doesn't hurt you. You've lost nothing. Well, in the Buddhist sense, he says if you know if you live a skillful life, even if it turns out that there is no such thing as karma. There is no such thing as rebirth. You can hold yourself uh, with a sense of honor that you've lived in a harmless way by developing skillful qualities in the mind and abandoning unskillful non-skillful ones. Also, he says to learn how to watch your own mind and try to make it try to make the distinction between what qualities in the mind are skillful and which ones are unskillful. And then notice when you act on skillful qualities, what are the how does it change your life? What benefits do you have? Particularly, he recommends developing goodwill. This is of, of the very skillful qualities. This is probably the, the quickest one to see, though. If you have goodwill for others, you're going to behave in a lot more skillful way. And again, you can hold yourself honorable that you haven't harmed anybody, even if there are no results of karma, if there is no rebirth. And it gets you confident that yes, you can actually do this because that's the other aspect of doubt. There may you may believe in what the Buddha had to say, but if you say I can't do this that's going to really get in the way, but you can see yourself, like, goodwill is not that hard to develop. Because you think about it, we're the people for whom you have ill will. And you can probably think of a few right off the bat. You say, well, if, what am I asking when I'm to do when I'm extending goodwill to them? It's basically, made this person see the error of their ways and change their ways so they can find true happiness. Now, that's something you can wish for anybody the world would be a lot better place so people could see, oh, I've been acting in unskilful unskillful way, I should change my ways without having to think about getting them punished or anything like that. You might say, well, there are certain people I'd like to see, see them hang in the wind a little bit before they <laughs> change their ways. And you have to remind yourself, well, nothing's really gained that way. Because there's very few people who undergo punishment like that who don't get a sense of being justified or feel that they've been mistreated. Very few people see the connection between their misdeeds and their suffering. So ideally, you should say, may they they see the error of their ways and learn how to change them another one of the hindrances the Buddha gives instructions for and these you can read in the readings is how to deal with drowsiness it starts with if you're meditating and you find that you're getting drowsy it will change the topic of your meditation if it's the breath change the way you breathe first and if you find that the breath no matter how you breathe you're still getting drowsy try to give yourself a meditation topic that engages the mind more You can think of the different parts of the body, or you can think about the the bones in your skeleton. start with the bones in the tips of your fingers. Where are they right now? Relax around them and move up to the second joint, third joint, into the palms of the hands, up to the wrist, up to the arm, Then start at the toes and work up through the body. Give yourself something more active to do. When I was in Thailand, there was a period when John was very sick and we had a number of monks there looking after him, but one by one by one, the different monks kept finding other things that they had to do. And so I, I started taking on this monk's period of time of the day and on that monk's period of time of the day. And I ended up with the, with the 2 a.m. to 8 p.m. shift. And all the other monks had 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. And so you can imagine me at 5, 3 a.m. in the morning after that, I got not got much sleep looking after John 4 and getting very drowsy. And I found that if I moved the spot of my focus, as I was focusing on the breath, three breaths in the middle of the chest, three breaths here, three breaths there, I was able to keep myself awake. So that's one of the ways in which you can counteract drowsiness give yourself something more active to think about as you meditate. As for the remaining three hindrances, um, these are the ones that come up most often in the Buddhist instructions to people who are dying. A lot of them, worry comes up first. You're worried over the fate of others for whom you've been responsible. And you have to, if you, if you think those thoughts yourself, you just have to say, what well, the time for that is, Pat, there's nothing I can do right now. I've got something else that I have to focus on right now, which is the fact that I'm dying, and I better... Get my mind focused on that. Um, there a couple of incidences. You know, there are in the readings you read about Nicola's mother talking to Nicola's father. Don't worry about me. She says I'm, I'm going to be able to look after myself. I know how to sew. I know how to card wool. I know how to weave cloth. I can look after the kids. If you're worried that I'm going to take on another husband, don't worry. I'm going to be as faithful to you after you die as nice I was during your, during your life. Turns out the husband doesn't die. He goes to see the Buddha and the Buddha said, you know, you're really lucky that you have her as your teacher and counselor. So that's one thing you have to think about. Is if you find someone, yourself, you're worried about your past responsibilities, you realize, okay, a human being can take on only so many responsibilities. There's going to have to be a time when you have to let them go. The time has come. Let them go. If you're worried over your past actions and things you've done in the past that were unskillful, Here's another, here's another case where the Buddha has you developed the Brahma Vihara's. First, you remind yourself, okay, hey, that was unskillful. I don't, I don't want to make that mistake again. Then you spread goodwill to yourself so you don't beat yourself up. And then goodwill to all beings so you remind yourself, okay, I want to make sure I don't harm anybody. And in order to remind yourself of right view, this is what the Buddha says at the moment of death, it's good to think of your good actions even as you reflect on your generosity, reflect on your virtue reflect on the qualities that lead someone to be a deva, such so reality, real so I do have some good time to you focus on that. This has become a, a traditional practice throughout Theravada countries, that if somebody's dying, the people around them will try to remember, remind them, not of the good times they've had in the past, but of the good things they've done. Of course, the antidote for ill will is thoughts of goodwill. Added up to sensuality is the Buddhist contemplations on the, the drawbacks to sensuality and the drawbacks of the body. Think of all those different images the Buddha gives of the, the sensuality as being like chaining, chewing a dog, chewing on some bones, where there's no there's no flesh at all. And in John Lee's telling of that particular image, he says it does have some flavor, which is the flavor of some saliva. That's a good image to keep in mind when you get when you find yourself salivating over. Sensual pleasures, okay, that's it, you're, using, you're just eating your own saliva. With the drawbacks to the body, you can think of the, of the contemplation of the body, and its 32 parts, or the fact that each of those parts is subject to an illness of one kind. You have an eye, where well, there are eye illnesses, you have a mouth, there are mouth illnesses in the mouth, you have skin, there's skin illnesses, you're down the list. And do you really want to come back to a human body like this? This is where we get into those interesting instructions to Mahanama, where Mahanama is asking the Buddha, you know, if someone is passing away while the Buddha's gone, how do you counsel them? And the Buddha says, okay, once you've gotten sure that they're, they're no longer worried about their, their parents or their wives, their children, responsibilities they've had in the past, then ask them, are you still, you know, concerned about leaving your human sensuality? And if the person says yes, and you say, well, you know, the devas have better sensuality than this, set your mind there instead. And so he starts out with the lowest level of the devas and works up, 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 up. up, up. And so you use sensuality of that kind to pull you away from your attraction to the human realm because there are better realms to be, be in. And finally, you get to the point where so if you get to the Brahma realm. Well, even in the Brahma realm, they, have, they suffer from self-identity. It would be good to let go of your self-identity. In other words, stop thinking in terms of self and worlds, in that case, and just look at the events in the mind in and in other selves. And it is possible, the Buddha said, at that moment, that the person can find relief, release. So here we see the role of a caregiver is to encourage positive thoughts and act as a memory aid for those whose memory is gone as death approaches. Now, of course, going to a good destination is a good thing. It's much better than going to a bad one. There was a group of people who came to see John Foon one time. They'd been studying Abhidhamma, And they heard that he was a good teacher, so they came to see him and they that's what he taught. He said, well, get, get, in, uh, get into meditation posture and start focusing on your breath. Oh, no, no, we can't focus on the breath. We're afraid of will fall into jhana and be reborn as Brahmas. <laughs> and he laughed. and He said, well, being born as a Brahmas is not a bad thing. Even non-returners are reborn as a Brahmas. And uh, they being reborn as a Brahmas is better than being reborn as a dog. So going for a good destination is not a bad thing. But you have to remember that going to a good destination the next time around doesn't guarantee that you're going to go to a good destination after that. So you're not 100% safe. And so this is where, if you want to go beyond any kind of good destination in in samsara, this is where you have to understand becoming. You need to have to learn how to observe the steps leading there. This is what dependent core rising is all about. And learning how to see them in and of themselves. This is where you try to get rid of the narratives or worldviews that tend to come clustering in on, on you. You notice this, of course, when you sit down and meditate. Sometimes it's the narratives of the day. Sometimes it's old stuff coming up. I've noticed, especially during the pandemic, that people say these memories of childhood come up unbidden because, you know, there's not much happening in your daily life right now. And so you tend to start focusing on things that happened in the past that come up very easily. Well, they're going to come up at the moment of death, too. And so you have to learn how not to go running with those narratives because they're going to create a sense of becoming, plus the fear around what you become, will become when you have to leave these things. So you have to develop the the skills that you learn in not giving meaning to pleasures and pains, and the stories you tell yourself around them—in other words, to see these events as separate, just events coming and going in the mind, and to see where the appeal is, what's their lure, but also to see their drawbacks. Because, as I would have said, the way to develop dispassion for things is look for the appeal. Why does the mind go for them? Look for the drawbacks. And then when you see that the drawbacks outweigh the allure, that's when you can develop the dispassion will give you you a sense of release. So you overcome clinging not by trying to see everything as a oneness. You're actually trying to see these events in the mind simply as separate events that are part of the causal process. You can keep the mind on that level. As the Buddha said, you begin to see that it's just nothing but thoughts of your existence, or the existence of the world that occurred to you at that time, or thoughts of your non-existence don't occur to you either or the non-existence of the world just simply stress arising stress passing away you say i don't need this there must be something better and that's when the mind inclines toward the deathless and this is what gives you the freedom from attachment that you would need to keep going in order to keep on being and being. at that moment when you're freedom from attached attachment you're also freed from all the limitations that go with attachment the mind, the Buddha's image is of a fire that's released from its attachment to a fuel. Remember those days, the theory was that fire burns because it's feeding on its fuel. At the same time, it's clinging to the fuel. And it's not the case that the fuel is clinging to the fire. So for the fire to be freed, the fire has to let go. In the same way, you're not the one who's being trapped by the narrative. So you tell yourself you're not the one that's being trapped by the pain that's coming up. You're the one that's holding on. It's your It's your clinging that is trapping you if you can learn how to let go, that's how you become free. And as the Buddha said, remind yourself that as you let go, you're not going into annihilation. The the deathless, he says, is a good thing. Since if you see that the deathless would be something that wouldn't have any pain or any sense of limitation or any sense of nostalgia or regret, just says erase that thought because it's not true. Deathless is a good thing. So this is what the teachings are all aimed at. As I said, the Buddha started his quest for the Dharma, looking for what would not die. It's because of his quest, because he stayed to it, stuck to it so thoroughly and so consistently that we have the Dharma to practice now. Which means that when we think about issues of aging, illness, and death, they're not tangential applications of some Dharma that's meant to be just for, for the present moment. They're what the Dharma is all about. Because these are the, the big issues in life. You don't understand how to live your life well. It's good to understand, well, what happens at death? What is, how does the mind handle aging, illness and death so it doesn't have to suffer? When you can answer those questions, and then you've taken care of all the things that would really weigh down the mind, and then you've given a good direction to your life. So those are the thoughts I have for this afternoon. And we will open the floor to questions.
2: Um, thank you so much, Bonte, for your teaching today and your com- enormous commitment to writing and websites and all you do. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I'm an end-of-life doula, and I have a couple questions around that. One is... Compassionate choice. When I first began, I I was uh, quite black and white about it. It was just I, I can't support people who make this choice. As I've gone along, I I'm starting to find differences with intention, and I'm wondering what you have to say about
0: that. you're asia
2: well, euthanasia or in California, um, you can have assistance from a medical person if you meet certain criteria.
0: Okay, well, from the Buddhist point of view, that's not a skillful approach.
2: So, what if someone makes that choice and I've been working with them? Then do I just go, sorry, I can't be here, I can't help you?
0: Okay, what well, you say that this is this is something I, I can't assist you with. You know, I'll, I'll get you in touch with somebody who can, but I can't do that.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, I also wonder what you would say um, around doing metta for people who have already died.
0: Spread them as much meta as you want.
2: Okay, good. Thanks. Sometimes they tell you not to do that. So why, uh,
0: why, why?
2: I don't know, but I've heard that <laughs> from just before.
0: Yeah. Well, there's. Uh, There is the the distinction that um, when you dedicate merit, that's something you do to people who have passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you're dedicating merit, basically the person to whom it's being dedicated has to express appreciation for it. Now, you can do that with people who are alive, but it's kind of embarrassing. You say, I made some merit for you the other day and I dedicated (laughs) it to you. I hope you're you're happy. (laughs) Now, if there's somebody, somebody you can say that to without embarrassment... And they actually would be happy, okay go ahead,
2: okay um, my third question is just around the present moment mm-hmm. in my experience, when I am in a very concentrated state um, <laughs> present moment isn't really it's a it's a movement, so there's no stopping at a moment and s- yeah, so I, I'm not sure how to um, be doing it in the present moment. I'm just with what is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Some people say when you're in the present moment, you're outside of time, but that's not the case. Time is very much there. You can see it slipping, slipping, slipping away. Um, and so what you want to do is say, okay, given that this is where I am right now in this, in this, in this sort of this flow, Okay. To what extent am I contributing to the flow, I and mean, especially to what extent am I contributing to any, any stress or suffering in the flow?
2: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Thank you.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay so I have a question about the hindrance of um, worry, of worries or anxiousness. Uh, I suspect that maybe a glimpse of what I could expect uh, towards death. So my morning meditation is very often thoughts about the day flood me, but in a way that... Um, well, they are fears or anxieties, but not of anything that's really scary. It's mostly thoughts about angry people that I'm going to meet, angry phone calls, generate tense. I have this tense profession mm-hmm. and um, I know the allure, like going over what's going to happen to me in the future. It sometimes helps because I can plan, mm-hmm. I can... Um, or find an idea or solve a problem. So there is a lure and I know that. There are also drawbacks because I know it ruins my morning meditation because evening meditation is easy compared to that. The mornings are difficult um, to the point that I'm sometimes afraid to sit because I know I'm gonna waste this hour or half an hour. Uh, so can you give me some
0: advice Okay, I would say make a promise with yourself that the last 10 minutes of the meditation you will think about these issues. And then be very strict with yourself for the remainder of the time that you're not going to think about them. And tell yourself, I'll be able to think, them, think about them more clearly because I have meditated and allowed the mind to get quiet. The quiet mind is a much better source for insight than a, than a worried mind. So make that promise with yourself. Okay, I I'll I will think about these things say the last 10 minutes and then in the meantime i get nope 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 and this is where you get out your karate chop
3: but they're mostly rubbish i don't want to think about them at all (laughs) not even for 10 minutes
0: (laughs) okay well (laughs) but i mean it's it's part of part of the practice is learning how to prevent unskillful qualities from arising in the future right Yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay. and I want to prepare. I I don't want to say anything unskillful to the people that I will meet or the angry phone calls that I'm going to receive in the course of the day. So, take some time to think about it, think it through. There must be a skillful way of doing this.
3: And during the morning session when you replied that uh, we should treat these voices with goodwill... Uh, we're thinking about these kind of voices or, or, or something else, because I thought when you talked about intrusive thoughts, uh, this was the kind of voices that you that were supposed to treat with goodwill. Yeah, well, so there's
0: there's the part of you that is is legitimately worried about making a big error in the course of the day, right? So have some goodwill for that part. Don't brush it aside. Don't don't mistreat it, because it will rebel after a while.
3: It just, like, it doesn't seem to make any sense this morning because it like, it's completely gone by afternoon.
0: <laughs> but you, it's just one of those cases where I want to survive the day. And when you get to, when you get the afternoon, I'm pretty close to survival now. Something the, like morning, that. You know, <laughs> the morning seems awfully long. And the day seems awfully long in the morning. So it's good to say, okay. Humor that voice a little bit. So, okay, let's, let's. You probably know of at least one person who will call you in the course of the day who might get angry. So as you know, think about that person in particular. Spread goodwill to that person and also then think, okay, what would be a skillful way of dealing with this person's way of dealing? And that way, and that way that little voice will probably then give you more time to actually do your meditation for the rest of that 15 minutes.
1: Okay. That's try. Thank you.
4: Jeff and
5: Rita. Hi, Tanijan. Um, Thank you very much for teaching today, as always. Um, I wanna talk, uh, ask about, go back to the uh, issue of Kama. Um, and for those of us with sort of performance anxieties, this moment of death, reflection, contemplation can be incredibly daunting. And sometimes I think I get caught in seeing comma as a sen- sentencing versus like a quintessential tool and teaching to be used to help guide me throughout my life, rather than just that moment um, of death. Um, and so I, and I think I even heard, um, I, I, I guess, simply based on the, the suttas that I've come across, there seems to be a pointed effort, a, um, a, a focus, on the heaviness of unskillful actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I even was at Ajahn Chah who said, rather, th- rather than doing good, don't do any harm, mm-hmm. which seems to suggest a focus of, um, yeah, not, not doing anything unskillful would mean that I w- was already doing something skillful. So I, but I think
0: God that child there is talking to people who would like to give, be generous a lot, but are not particularly concerned about observing the precepts. Okay. And this, this is this is a problem that you know I ran into when I was teaching in Thailand. Okay. That, you know, people are happy to be generous, but they didn't want to be bothered with the precepts. And so he's saying, look, you've got to take them seriously. Now, if you find that you're taking them so seriously that you can't function, say, so can okay, back off a little bit, remember the, of the goodness that you've done.
5: Okay. So there's just as, as much weight given by the Buddha in doing skillful as avoiding unskillful.
0: Right. I mean, this is why he has you do recollection of your virtue, recollection of your, pre, of your generosity, recollection of the quality of the devas. I mean, these are things you have. Focus on those to lift your spirits.
5: Okay. Okay. So just as many opportunities as doing good and focusing on that. Versus focusing on what I might get into trouble wise. Right. Use like right, right. to look for something skillful. Right. Um, and then, do I understand correctly that the karma that will happen, if it's a good rebirth, even the deva realms of the Brahma realms, they could be adversely affected by unskillfulness that we've done. And and it would be there to make those positive realms somehow unpleasant, or something oh, <laughs> uh, the span. The,
0: the, the, the only places they have is is the a, a passage on the the, the the betas who have palaces, the, the hungry girls who have palaces. In other words, they spend half the day in their palace and half the day wandering around outside.
5: Oh, so it's just just a strictly positive experience. I guess what, I'm.
0: Yeah, the, the Deva realms are pretty positive, yes.
5: Okay. I guess I'm thinking of like the hell realms where, you know, the Buddha had that one thought of helping somebody who was being beaten and he left the hell realms immediately. Mm-hmm. So that shortened his length of, of stay just mm-hmm. by having had past um, good karma. So so I guess it's just a, it's a complexity then. After your Deva realms, you're going to pay for... More Maybe,
0: which means that if you're in a deva realm, make sure you're, you're determined to practice.
5: So you can, you can approach death with that if you haven't entered the stream with, I right. want to be in a deva realm practicing.
0: Right, right.
5: Okay. So lastly, does the Buddha ever um, give suggestion of just the strength of practicing his teachings for awakening, like he does going to the hell realms? Does he ever say, if you're doing my, my teachings, you're going you're gonna to be pretty sound?
0: Well, it basically says, "If you, you follow his teachings, you're not creating any of the causes for going to the lower realms. Now, you may have some past bad karma, which this, these can be erased, but you remember the image of the, the, the lump of salt in the river? Right. Okay. You can, you can mitigate what you've done in the past by developing expansive mind states.
5: Okay, great. So in in essence, you know, continue to focus on skillful and not to Uh, keep on on doing
0: good. Keep on doing good,
5: and you're going to do well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, Reed also has a question. Can this be
2: a two for one? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So uh, as I've been considering um, death and the transition, I've started to um, sense some fear coming up with claustrophobia. And I was wondering if you could give any recommendations on how to work with that.
0: Think of a sense of space. Sorry. Yeah. I told you that story about a John F student who was meditating one night and his voice came to her and said, you're going to die. And she couldn't stay anywhere in her body. She couldn't focus anything. So it was like a house of fire. Every room we went into was, was on flame. And then she thought of space. And so she took space as her object and, you know, if she had died at that time, she probably would have become a space data. <laughs> least, at least that gets you out of that feeling of everything's kind of closing in on you.
2: Okay, so as I envision, like losing contact with the sun stores, um, mm-hmm. just maybe focus on um, cultivating more of a, an awareness of space then. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you.
4: Steve Ross.
6: Thank you. Uh, I want to uh, come back to Quilly's question about, um, she talked about assisted, um, assisted suicide, and, she ta- and you mentioned euthanasia. <clears throat> um, but, but suicide itself, and the decision that a person simply doesn't Well, I won't phrase it that way. But what confuses me is that in the suttas, we see examples of some arhats who end their lives with a knife or what have you. I have not been able to understand how, because you said that's not a skillful way, the assisted suicide uh, or euthanasia.
0: The the Buddha said the arhat suicide is the only suicide that is not blameworthy.
6: Ah, in
0: other words, they do it without any creative version or delusion,
6: right? That's in the canon.
0: Yeah, I forgot which sutta it's in, but it's, it's in one of the sutras.
6: Okay, thank you. That clears everything up. Thank you very much. Steve Wells,
7: thank you. Um,
2: I've been studying in the Thai tradition for several years but my teacher has not spoken of their teachings around death and dying and i'm just wondering if there's some correlation between those teachings and the tibetan bardo teachings
0: okay there um yeah i think i mentioned my my teacher had a number of students who were psychic and they could see different people as they were going through the transition And each person's transition is going to be very different depending on their past karma. In other cases, there are some cases where they go through certain stages before they're reborn. In other cases, that's just like their vacuum cleaner pulls them out and they're they're someplace else right away. Um, Like that case I said, where the woman saw the the dead bodies on the side of the road, but also saw those people standing around looking kind of lost. So sometimes the, the, the... I guess the, for lack of a better word, the spirit will be hanging around, and in cases like that, she would stop spread goodwill to them and then you know they would they would they move on others others just go right on you know and there, there there's a huge near death experience literature in Thailand, and one of the common themes is that there's kind of a police clearing room where there's somebody sitting behind a desk and they've got the leisure for where you go. <laughs> and in each case of course you know the the, the, the sergeant in charge looks at the ledger. oh it's not this time this person's time yet so they get sent back but sometimes they get you know, the, the spirit guide says well you know as long as you're here do you want to see a little bit of heaven and hell it's oh sure it'd be great so they wander around and they come back and then they they tell their experiences my favorite one was this one guy who was going to this heaven and all the davis were dressed in the kind of the traditional thai style dress and so he asked his guide he says um, is this just a heaven for Buddhists? Are there no other religions here in heaven? And so no, we've got plenty of Christians and Muslims and other Hindus and whatnot. He says, well, aren't they kind of surprised to see all the devas wearing Thai clothing like this? And the, and the guy said, you see us as you expect to see us. Mm-hmm. So the thing about going through the bardos is um, they don't have that. And, and there's, no, there's no set... Instead of stages that everybody's going to have to go through, it's going to depend on your karma. Whether something a very good karma, pull you up right away, or, or whatever.
7: Thank you.
4: Genie.
2: Je- Genie, yeah. Um, hi, Adhan, Jeff. Um,
8: so, this question might be one of those unanswerable questions, but what is it that? gets reborn is it the karma
0: well this is precisely what the buddha says he didn't focus on
9: right
0: okay he focused more on okay how does the process happen because that's something you can actually do something about i mean you if you want to take on identity and identity you create your identity around what you're attached to but the whole point is what did you say you create your identity about the things you're around the things you're attached to Mm. that's what you are as a being is your attachments and so he wants to take attention away from that question because as soon as you say well what am i and you're going to grab onto this this and this and make that into yourself
6: Mm.
0: and so he's trying to get you to get get that way of looking at things in terms of simply actions in and of themselves what am i doing and what is it leading to so that's what that's where you want to focus
9: Okay. I think I understand that.
1: Okay.
4: Gita?
7: Wonderful to see you, Tadasara Thank you for teaching all of us. Thank you. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Bhante, I had a question on the 12 links. And um, I've heard two, two schools of thought, and I think both are possibly correct. One is that you can break the links at any point. And the second is that you could um, break the links at contact with the five sense faculties, and then feeling arises, neutral, um, happy and uh, sad. Um, And then from there, we are intention and then clinging and craving. So if we break it at That point, would it help to contemplate on anicca, anatha and dukkha? Impermanence, not self, Mm -hmm. right, Right. and suffering, right?
0: Right. Okay. Basically, you can you can break the chain anywhere. There there are two passages in the canon where the Buddha talks about every chain, every link in the chain is a point one where you can possibly make the break. And in each case, he recommends that you look at it in terms of the four noble truths.
9: Mm-hmm.
0: What is the suffering in, in, around this thing, and then what is what is the origination of that suffering around this thing? What can it do to stop it? Now, one of the ways that you're going to stop it is to develop this passion for it, and the way one way to develop this passion, of course, is once you've seen the allure, then you try to look at it in terms of three three perceptions. Yeah. So. And
7: nibida, So to develop nibida will help,
0: but you have to develop a sense of dis,
1: disenchantment.
0: Yeah.
7: Okay, Vante. Thank you so much. So wonderful to see you. Thank you.
1: Isabel.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Tanajan. Um, it's good to see you. My question is uh, twofold. The first is, um, what kind of chants or thoughts can I send to someone who is dying or who has just died? and I'm not with them? And then the second one related is, uh, is that different for someone who has died because of assisted suicide?
0: We okay, have lots of goodwill. Lots of goodwill. If you want to chant, there's the chant, there's the Garniya Manta Sutta, which is basically about goodwill. Yes. And remember, the Buddha never, the Buddha never kept his teachings for... Only those who don't de- don't deserve to suffer. <laughs> in other words, no matter what you've done in the past, the re- whatever reason you're suffering, may you stop suffering. So it de- doesn't really matter how they died or what. You still send thoughts of goodwill. And then dedicate the merit of your practice to that person.
8: Thank you.
4: Sylvia?
2: Good afternoon, Anna Jen. Thank you for your wonderful talk.
5: I have a question regarding uh, the natural and un- unnatural death. Uh, let's say that you know, you're struck in the natural disasters like an earthquake or lightning strikes or a car hits you suddenly, how can we prepare for that? When it's like a little in, Um, how can we still be mindful and alert at times like that?
2: fear, um, I think, is the last one Okay. say.
0: Okay. Um- Basically, the Buddha says, uh, there, was a, there was a similar case like this in the sutras, where Mahanama comes to see the Buddha says, you know, what if an elephant strikes me? You know, it's going to be, that, that, was, that was their version of a car crash. <laughs> <I was> getting <laughs> by an elephant. And it was the same sort of thing. He said, just, you know, just, just keep your mind plus just remind yourself, okay, the time has come, I just got to drop things. Okay. And this, this is one of the reasons why the, the adjohns encourage you to stay with the breath as much as you can as you go through the day. So if anything unexpected comes up, okay, you're there, you're ready. you're you're ready.
5: Thank you. Mm-hmm.
9: Drake? Hello, John, thank you. Uh, thank you for everything. Um, I saw in the readings, you included uh, MN 143. Um, I don't think you talked about it uh, just now, but, or didn't explicitly talk about it, but, in that sutta, Saraputa is talking to um, on a, authentic, and he's, he's basically walking them through things to let go of, this. Don't, or don't cling to this, don't cling to this. And it's like, don't cling to the eye, don't cling to forms, don't cling to eye consciousness. And then it goes through like contact and feelings and fabrications and jhana realms. And I'm just wondering if that progression of that list, shows up anywhere else? Is that a, a list that I'm not recognizing somehow? Or? That's, that's I, the only
0: thing where that, that particular list appears.
9: Okay. Because it doesn't seem like a um, – well, maybe there's some order to it that I just don't see very easily. But, um, well, maybe Sarabhuta was reading his mind. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, and something um, I didn't think was related to today's topic, but maybe it is. Um, every night before I fall asleep, as I'm falling asleep, um, I do some meditation, and it keeps occurring to me that that might not be sort of, sort of often advised against to meditate until you fall asleep. I was just wondering—I can't remember you saying either way. It's perfectly fine. Okay. But also
0: meditate at some other time of the day too, so that your meditation doesn't always end in sleep.
9: Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. For sure. Okay. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
4: Kevin?
10: Kevin China. Oh, yeah. 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 Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, can, can, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, thank you, Tanjan, for... Uh, for uh, I want to show my greatest uh, respect to you for, uh, for my wife and me, uh, mm-hmm. for your current uh, talk and the past ones. Uh, my, my English is poor, so I apologize first. So I want to report my uh, daily practice first, and I have a short question later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I listen to your talks every day, and uh, I uh, in the morning, every time I sit like uh, half an hour, I listen to your talks, whole body breathes, very good, very nice. And, and uh, in the noon, I have a like, snap of half an hour. Uh, by that time, uh, with fewer awareness, but the uh, refreshment is also good. So after I uh, finish my work, I go to practice some yoga. Though the mind is uh, much more uh, restless than the past two, but uh, I still always uh, remind myself that um, you said, um, we mm-hmm. should try to be aware, just remind, remind. And later, uh, after the yoga, the awareness comes back, the, the body feels good and the mind quality becomes better. So because of that, because uh, I practice that, day by day, and uh, I would like to report that uh, my addiction to gaming is decreasing dramatically. Uh, Because before, you know, I also practiced, but uh, you know, the mind is very weak in the night, so he cannot stop uh, attached to the gaming, though the gaming is very exhausted. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, because the value judgment system is slowly created, so when he finds the money uh, mind and the body is more have more high quality, so the mind immediately dropped the gaming mm-hmm. because it's not uh, worth it sometimes i also uh, crap the i also hold the gaming, but the quality is <laughs> so it's it's a bad business so mm-hmm. the mind i can see is very shocked. he slowly transferred to the mm-hmm. to the a good side. so mm-hmm. i was so uh uh how to say uh um uh thanks, thanks for for you teaching because it's not very easy i've tried many years many teachers and thank you very much ajang your uh your teaching for me to uh, so they can see the mind change to the to to another way mm-hmm. so this is my first report okay. and second is um I see sometimes I just say one question is that I saw sometimes many times the mind is uh, have a pattern that he was saying for example uh, when I go to the have the weekend things will become better something like uh, if the holiday comes things becomes better like uh, he want to change the beings I don't know if I say Clearly, for example, you said now uh, the the days is too too busy too suffering. The weekends will be better. Mm-hmm. For example, also like the holidays will become better means these days he want to forget now the present, mm-hmm. and I found that the mind have that kind of uh, pattern. He mm-hmm. want to forget the present and hold the concept like uh, later, for example, weekends, for example, the holiday is that mm-hmm. the truth.
0: No, no. Run that question past me again.
10: So, so, again, so I, I want to say that uh, I find many times the mind when he was the um, the condition is not good. He will think, wander away the mind. Will think uh, if the I I have the weekends. If the weekends comes, the things will become better than now. I saw many times like the holiday comes. He think when the holiday comes, then the. <laughs>
0: Got your question. I, I got your question. Yeah. Well, basically, if it's one way that helps you have some patience and, and endurance with the difficult situations, reminding yourself, okay, things will get better. Um, that's one way of doing it now, in order to have some patience with what's going on and endurance. The other way, of course, is to remind yourself, well, even though conditions outside are not that good, I can still breathe comfortably in the midst of all this right now. I can find some pleasure. So you don't have to wait until the holiday or wait till the weekend in order to have a good time. You can say, okay, there's, some, there's still some opportunities for pleasure here, even in a difficult circumstance.
10: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Alex? Yeah. So, uh, Tanajan, I had a question. um, You mentioned goodwill uh, Mm -hmm. quite a lot and in the first part. um, So I just want to check something with you. Uh, So my understanding is that uh, goodwill is about intention. um, So that um, when when we're practicing uh, metta that we should be thinking about the intention to not do harm, um, so it's it's about the action rather than focus, not focusing just on like, spreading this uh, sense of people doing you well. Do
0: both. You, want to, you want to do <laughs> both. Think about how you know it would really be good to see people happy.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah. How do they go about that? Well, what can I do to help them? Because they're the, they're going to be the ones that will have to create the causes for happiness through their actions. Is there anything that I can help?
1: So your focus, is it the intention that you focus on when you're processing? Focus on the
0: intention and also on, on, on what you hope. You know, the intention aims at happiness for everybody.
1: So um, the other thing that's connected with that, um, is that is that there's a relationship, am I right in thinking there's a relationship between SIVA, which is a kind of protection, and goodwill. They, they share that same aspect. Of right, protecting right. your mind, is that right? Right, right. Because they're both
0: they both have to do with the, the intention. it's simply the goodwill is part of the motivation for 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 observing the precepts. This is one way of being harmless.
1: Right, right. So um if you want to develop goodwill to further as much as possible, could you take it as a concentration practice? Oh yes, yes.
0: I mean, again, so, this would be something that it's it depends on your individual tendency. Some people find goodwill a, an easy topic to use as a concentration practice, other people find it a little bit too vague and they need the body as a as a as a grounding. So this will be an individual matter.
1: So when I'm practicing goodwill, I have well that there's a whole sort of sentence which you know you can say uh, you know um may all beings be well happy, may be troops and suffering, animosity, etc. Um, but I find that can be a bit laborious. That's okay, well,
0: then, then, it just, then, then you just shorten it down to one word, which is metta, yeah. or goodwill.
1: And you can just keep that word in mind. And yes. th- if there's no feeling, mm-hmm. does that still, as long as there's a the thought and intention, because sometimes, the
0: yeah, sometimes the feeling doesn't come, you say, well, I've got, you've got to work on the intention. Because those meta phrases, um, there are a few that are found in the canon, um, but they're not nearly as elaborate. But basically, is may all beings be happy, and also may they all act in a skillful way, because that's going to be the causes for their happiness. So it comes back to contact Right. And then for a concentration practice, then you shorten it to one word. Um,
1: there, was, there was just a quick question, if that's okay, about the um, the conversation between Sarah Putter and, and then the Pindaka. Mm-hmm. Um, um when he goes through all the different stages mm-hmm. uh, aspects of things not to claim to uh, anywhere or anything um, uh, is that is he, is that a reflection like a, a contemplation to reflect on as a practice or is it a concentration practice or is it could it's basically
0: been? it's basically a discernment practice you know are you are you attached to this again let it go? Catch the list. Let it go. No, hopefully so, I'm not putting us. <laughs> you know, under Vedic was had his mind concentrated at the time, because it, it requires a fair amount of concentration to see clearly what it is you're attached to. So a bit, bit of both, maybe a right.
1: reflection right.
4: Right. Right. Okay, thank you, Kindle? Mm-hmm.
11: Um, Tanajan, so just coming uh, back to a question that was asked before, um, you know how apparently in the suttas there's like arahans who commit suicide and that's okay? Um, So given that they've got this um, sort of undisturbed happiness, I'm guessing that the suffering of their bodies are just easily managed. Why would they want to kill themselves?
0: Because uh, they see that they're just a burden to other people. Oh, wow. They don't want to be burdensome.
11: Okay.
6: Mm-hmm.
11: Um, I had uh, two other quick questions. One is to do with, so if someone's like, for a practitioner, I understand at the moment of death, like your intention should be, okay, where can I practice the Dhamma, the best, let's go there. Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's someone who's culturally Buddhist, like my dad, who's not like a big, big practitioner and even listening to like talks on Nibbana gets him all agitated, And he's like, no, 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 it's not time yet. For a person like that, telling him, okay, so maybe your intention should be somewhere you could practice. You should go for somewhere, aim for somewhere where you you need to practice. Doesn't really feel like it's going to be effective because that's not where his mind's at. Um, So what could I tell him to aim for?
0: Tell him to aim for a state of being in which she's harmless.
11: Harmless. Mm-hmm. Okay. Could I ask him to aim for somewhere where it's like a lot of pleasure, hoping that it'll be a deva realm?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know what pleasure he's going to latch onto it, You know, at that, that, that moment, said, so, "This looks pretty good." Yeah. You know the story of the, the two friends who're practicing, and one of them one of them dies, becomes a deva, and the other one becomes a fly in a in a in a, in a outhouse. Yeah so the the, the deva goes down and says, where's my friend what happened to him he sees him he's a fly down in the outhouse so he goes down and talks to him. me what are you doing down here and the friend says what do you mean down here i'm in heaven <laughs> see my, my head is green i'm in indra you know and and food falls out of the sky more food than i can eat falls out of the sky every day <laughs> so so don't just go for pleasure go for harmless pleasure
11: okay harmless pleasure okay. yeah um And the other quick question I had was, so I've been falling into this trap of thinking something is good enough and thinking that it's a skillful way of thinking, but it's also quite an easy mask for laziness and also not going for high expectations for the day. Um, So what I'm doing now is to kind of reflect at the end of the day, okay, well, did did I have a good day where I met my expectations or did I just say things are good enough and just kind of like walked off? but the thing is when I do that reflection is there's a relentless voice in my mind that tells me that I could do better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to manage that because there's always things I could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I just keep driving myself? Cause that sounds like a lot of pain. Or...
0: <laughs> it, I will do one, one extra thing better every day. Okay. Just, just throw in a little something for good measure. <laughs>
11: yeah. Okay, Okay. Awesome. Thank
4: you. Eileen?
8: <laughs> Energy. I wanted to ask about mindfulness of death because there's part of me that is already doing it. My birthday's coming up on Tuesday. If I live that long, I'm going to be 70. And that, that's in my mind. But there's another part of my mind that's saying mindfulness of death. That's heavy. And you know, that sounds weird. And, and if I told my friends what I was doing this Saturday, they'd go, what? what did you do? So there's there's the ambivalence. And I'm just wondering what I can do. I'm not going to tell my friends about it yet. But what can I do to help myself not be, so not to help the resistant part? What can I tell it
0: to come up okay, well, okay. Well, basically, remember, mindfulness of death is not just thinking death, 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 death all the time. But thinking, I have the opportunity with this breath to do something good. What can I do with it? That's what it's all about.
8: Thank you very
9: much. Okay. Todd? Todd i um, All this talk about the realms, I'm getting a little
0: bit confused about what I should be aiming for. I um, I had thought I heard at one point that the human realm was the best realm to practice in. Um, but it sounds like now I was hearing you say going to some other realms like Deva or Brahm... Roman realm might be better. Like what should we be aiming for? Or but, I don't trust my own judgment. I'm afraid I'm going to pick the wrong one because um, my mind's not very wide
9: all the time.
0: Well, uh, don't don't choose anything below the human realm, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, is there, is saying,
9: there one realm that's the best realm or does it depends on your, uh, your competition?
0: They say that the, the, the realm of the contended Davis is a really good one to practice in. They're the ones that are kind of wise about pleasure, and they they they're, they're sort of far-seeing devas, and they can see the you know the the, the, the dangers of, of being heedless. Um, now, John Suwat made a comment to one of his some of his students who visited from Bangkok one time. He said, "You know, the human realm is going to get pretty bad. It would, it would, it would, don't come back to the human realm. Try for a deva realm." So. I could I could I could see that happening. I mean, I can see that coming. It's like yeah. Thank you.
4: Point. Thank, you ti- Thank you for your
7: teaching. Thank you for your teaching, Mante. Um, my question is uh, about uh, follow up with Gita about the twirling of any of dependent origination, Mante. Um, I don't understand how can we can break the cycle at any point because like becoming or say rebirth. It seems like when we say that, it's like we have the control over the natural cycle of things. Mm-hmm. I thought that we should bracket it at ignoring by having wisdom.
0: Okay, basically it's bringing, it's bringing, ignorance, it's bringing wisdom to any of the things. You don't just cut with the scissors. You have to cut with knowledge. And so if you bring knowledge of the Four Noble Truths to any of the factors, basically it's any of the factors up to clinging. Once you've hit clinging, you're suffering already. So I have to turn back and look at the craving because you have to cut it at the craving. So anything from anything from fabrication up through craving, you can cut it. Yeah, as long as you bring bring knowledge to that particular connection.
7: Thank you, Vande.
4: Marisol?
8: Uh, Ajahn Jeff? I'm afraid your answer to um, a previous question about the uh, Arhants committing suicide because uh, and uh, because they thought they were too much of a burden mm-hmm. makes me think of me. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, if they are too much of a burden, I must be, you know, 5,000 times much more of a burden than a
0: no, they, they, their work is done. Their work is done. They just want to go. Your work isn't done yet.
8: <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so that, but, uh, that's but, why,
0: yeah. That's why you have to I'm, hang around and work on it. I'm sorry. That's why you have to hang around and work on it.
8: Okay. So... Uh, so their work is done, and they've earned the luxury of being able to, you know, out. bow out.
2: Mm-hmm.
8: I guess. Okay, I haven't earned that yet.
2: Definitely yeah, not. <laughs> okay, thank you, okay.
4: Olivia.
2: Hello,
12: John, Jeff. Uh, sorry, no video. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to say that I think with everything we've heard you say today and as we learn about uh, self and not self we uh, the way out appears to be fabrications clearing out the the misfabrications we have in our mind mm-hmm. in order to end suffering so, but for me whenever i try to attempt to uh, whenever i see that i'm going off track and i try to change the perceptions And in order to stay um, with things as they are in and of themselves and not of the world, because, you know, the corporate world ideas come in, uh, diffusing things that relate to the Four Noble Truths. Uh, I just wondered if you were going to write a Dhamma app that we could all plug into our minds to (laughs) to clear all of this. I mean, it's ongoing and it really appears to be that, uh, you know, just clearing the fabrications and thinning them down and refining them is the way out. Um, How, what sort of, what can I keep in mind when I sit down to meditate or even when I'm walking around and, Thoughts come into, into my head. What can I keep in mind in order to stay in, the, in what's happening in and of itself and in order to stay within the parameters of the Four Noble Truths? Uh, I think if I had something like that to um, put me back on track, I'd be able to say, oh, and if this is the case and this is it, then this is what I need to do. Can you can you well, this, give this me some the, guidance?
0: Well, this is why the Buddha has so those four the four frames of reference for establishing mindfulness. You choose any one of the four. So I'm, I'm just going to make this a constant practice of being with the body in and of itself, or feelings in and of themselves, and have my mind re, keep re, returning to returning to that as much as I can. And you bring in issues of the world only when you have to deal with with people in the world or other issues in the world. And try to make this your okay. default mode that you're going to go back to get okay, just feelings in and of themselves or, or the bodies in and of itself. Try to hold that in mind as your frame of reference.
12: Okay. And, that, and so that will help stabilize the mind in, in any one of those frames
0: right. from
12: which. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Ajahnjah. You're welcome.
4: I, I, I don't know if I said your name right. Sorry.
8: Right, thank you very much. Thank you, Ajahn, for the, uh, the generosity uh, this Dhamma to us. My question will be about, um, is having an aspiration to, be, to rebirth in a better place like Devarium or, or Brahmaryam constitute as uh, identity view in uh, lower factors? Thank you. you know,
0: there will, as long as you have that sense of identity, yes, I want to be reborn here, I want to be reborn there. There is a sense of identity that goes with that. Um, but there, as long as you still need a sense of identity in order to function, you're trying to choose, choose, choose a skillful one.
8: Mm. So in that case, in our practice, we shouldn't aim to be rebirthed in the good realm, but. To liberation,
0: right, Ajahn? Your, Aim at liberation, and, and but also, um, <laughs> I hate to say this, but hedge your bets, so that you, you do have some, you have prepared, and just in case I don't make it all the way to into our hardship in this lifetime, I'll have some good things to fall back on, good places to practice. I
3: see. Thank you very much,
4: Ajahn. So, Tanajan, uh, that concludes all the questions. Okay. Uh, were
0: were, in the chat, uh,
4: I had I had a few questions if you don't mind. Okay, sure, go ahead. Uh, so, so one was the Buddha's wager versus the Pascal's wager, which you actually brought up, which I mm-hmm. thought was very interesting. Uh, I was just thinking a little bit about it, and I noticed that Pascal's wager was more for uh, the end goal that he was driving for was that you would adopt a particular belief, Mm -hmm. belief in God in that particular case. Whereas in the version of the Buddhist wager that you actually presented, uh, if I understand correctly, there are two versions, both of which are connected. One was basically towards skillfulness of actions, uh, towards making you more skillful. But the other one is also a set of beliefs, right view. There Mm -hmm. are four different gradations of right view, all, all the way culminating in view that, okay, Nibbana is possible. Yeah. Uh, both of these are connected, but uh, I, I often find that people, pref- at least you know, most, of the, most of the times, people seem to be more comfortable with the one which is expressed just in terms of skillful actions, not so comfortable with the one that is expressed in terms of the four gradations of belief in you know the four different right views, uh, can you speak a little bit to that? Can you can you kind of uh, clarify what uh, how we should arrange our mind around this, maybe to understand this a little better?
0: Well, the idea that there is nirvana is uh, some people find it a little bit too daunting. Right. And if I really believed in nirvana, it would it would require more of me? Or if I really believed in rebirth, it would require more of me. Right. It's interesting that this question is being brought up here in the in the study center. Uh, yeah.
4: I, I do not belong to the study center. Okay. No, but in,
0: in, in under their ages, because there was one year that I was saying. You know, there's there are there all these courses where people say, you know, you know, imagine that you have only one year left to live, and you get together as a group and you say, what is the date that we're going to so we're going to assign kind of as our cutoff date, and imagine what it would be like if we this were our last year to live. And I said, what you really ought to do is get a group of people together and say, what if we really believed in rebirth? Let's live our life for one year as if we really believed in rebirth. And a year after that, someone came up to me. He'd been at the previous session. And he said, you know, when you said that, I really resisted it. Yeah. And so, I, thought, so, I, so I, I, I looked into it. Why do I resist this idea? And he said, it, it made me realize I would have to live a much better life. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, the other thing that I had as a question sorry I'm taking so long uh, I thought you said somewhere in between that there are only four of the five hindrances that appear at the moment of death but when you no, actually no, no.
0: Top, it's, it's, they, they, they can all appear it's just that right. in the early canon when they when they mention the hindrances that can appear at death they make explicit reference only to four ah uh-huh. okay okay so, even but, though
6: but the sloth
0: and torpor is, is implicitly there when the Buddha is saying, be mindful and alert, it's basically don't be slothful, don't be torpid. Okay. okay. Uh,
4: the, then the other question that was coming up was uh, remembering the triple gem at the moment of death. Uh, mm. is, that, uh, is that of any value? Because I've been told that remembering the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha is a kind of right view. It's,
0: it's connected with the right view in a way. It's uh, connected with conviction. and Mm. Our conviction in the Buddha is, why, is because of what? Because if we believe that he really was awakened. Right. So that connects to conviction as a quality that's, that's useful to have.
4: In that particular context, is it more useful to actually just think that, okay, awakening is possible, or is it more useful to think that this was the one stage whose teachings are the ones that
0: actually need to awakening? Which one is okay. it actually? Well, you, you want to have both. Yes, it is possible. And this is the guy who knows the way. Okay. Both, both of those are required. Okay. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, the one question that was coming around uh, about spirits uh, was that you know oftentimes I've heard at least in the in, 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 whenever a talk around spirits actually starts somewhere in you know among my friends or something, Dharma friends. Uh, usually the question comes about: Is there anything over there? Is there anything there? And sometimes some people say there is nothing there. You can't really pinpoint what is there. Can you point out this is, this is the one that is the spirit, that is the one that is the spirit. But I, 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 I thought of answering that in, in this way. I thought, why not we say, okay, what is it clinging to? Is there something that it can cling to? And if there is something that is clinging to, whatever being is there that is actually clinging to it, that would be the spirit
0: okay okay guess what what we th- what we think of as spirits is actually kind of an interim rebirth Right. and again the rebirth comes because of what becomes it becomes a becoming and becoming happens because of clinging
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay okay uh,
4: last question one thing that you mentioned was justice don't bother about it at the moment of death okay that, that somebody deserves to to suffer at the moment yeah. of death that it almost seems like you know we've been. Talk- uh, you've also given one interesting talk, and you've written an essay also on um, you know uh, uh, goodwill over justice or something, uh, wisdom Vis- over
0: wisdom over justice. Yeah,
4: wisdom over justice, and it seems like justice
0: is at loggerheads with nirvana. Is that a true statement? Well, again, where where it is at loggerheads, you have to choose the wise path. Well there are a lot of times where it's not at loggers' heads. I mean you try to you try to arrange things and try to get things to settle down is figure out who, who made the mistake and how we can correct it. That kind of justice is okay. But there, there are certain cases where you're gonna to have to choose either I'm gonna to have to go for justice or I'm gonna to have to go for the wise course. And okay, in that case I've just got to go for the wise course and let this go. That's where yeah. academic comes in.
4: And because, to an extent, justice does not really hold at the ultimate level when it comes to nibbana, we're probably lucky in the sense that we can actually get out if if justice is Well,
0: as you said, if you you had to repay for all your mistakes, you would never get out. you never get out. Okay. And so you don't have to make everybody else pay for their mistakes either. (laughs) All right.
4: Thank you so much. I'm sorry I took so much
6: time. There's some
0: questions in the chat.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to read Oh, oh to you.
0: Are. Okay. Yes, uh,
6: yes. One of them is: Would it be unskillful if one is terminally ill but die without assistance, but choose to stop eating and drinking? That's
0: your choice.
4: Okay. Another question: In some cultures in the past, an aged or ill person would choose to be left or die or stop eating in order to benefit the family or tribe, so as not to be a burden. That is not greed or craving, or is a delusion.
0: Okay. Um basically it's you are just being leaving yourself out to die at a natural pace. And, and here again, this is one of those cases where that's your choice. Okay. But uh, when, when, when when you know that time when Ajahn Shah had had that operation which made him non functional and they, they kept him going on artificial life support, every Ajahn in Thailand told their students, don't do that to me when the time comes to go, just let me go. Okay. Thank
4: you. Uh, One question. Uh, Next question. Would it be skillful if one is terminally ill, but die without assistance, but choose to stop eating and drinking?
6: The the other one is, uh, John. could you please explain more about why compassion and choice is not a skillful way for death? The patient, the patients all have terminal illness and have six months left. If a Buddhist choose it to die, what will be the result of his or her afterlife?
0: Okay. Basically, this is their chance to continue learning how to deal with pain. A lot of useful lessons can be learned that way. Because you don't know if, when you go, if you choose to die. A lot of this desire to die is the idea of being able to put an end to your suffering. We really don't know you could go to a worse place as a human being. You, and if you're a practitioner, you still have the opportunity to practice. So go ahead and keep on practicing.
4: Okay. One more question. Uh, is it okay to receive pain during medication like opiates near death? Would it would be unskillful in terms of mindfulness?
0: Okay. There, you can take doses that don't interfere with your mindfulness. You know, those places where they allow the patients to control the amount of, of, you know, morphine that they're getting, whatever, they tend to take a lot less than when the, the nurses come around and give them shots. Because the nurses have to compensate for the fact they're not going to be able to give a shot for another 24 hours or whatever. And so they tend to overdose the patients. Whereas when you're on on the drip, you can control a better. And the patients tend to be more mindful and use a lot less of the, of the painkiller.
4: Thank you, Tanajan. I don't see anything else in the stream. But...
11: Okay, I think great. there was another question that you missed from Stephanie. Yeah, go ahead.
4: Please go ahead and read it out. Oh,
11: okay. Um,
4: if you can see it. I, I'm, yeah.
11: check Dear Arjan, what's a skillful way to help a person who's at the end of their life do not study the Dhamma and who have a lot of remorse about things they have done? Thank you so much for your teachings.
0: Okay, remind them that. Um, best thing you can do about remorse about things you've done is to just take up make up your mind that you recognize that as a mistake and you resolve not to repeat the mistake and then just have lots and lots and lots of goodwill develop goodwill for all beings and doing research for this particular issue i kept coming up again and again and again how much goodwill plays a role in dealing with illness goodwill plays a role in dealing with Worry, it plays a role in dealing with, of course, with ill will, plays a role in dealing with uncertainty. It's one of the ways in which you can prepare yourself for a good rebirth. so sort of the practice of goodwill is a, is a very important part of preparing for aging illness and death, more than I would have expected. Okay, well, I hope this has been helpful. Yes. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much,
0: Anjan. Did you say anything about chanting?
2: Thank you, Bhante. Thank you very much, Tanishan.
0: Thank, thank, you. You. thank, thank you, And thank you to
7: all the organizers.
12: Thank you, Bunty
7: Thank you,
0: Bunty Thank, thank you. May you live a long and happy
7: life, Bante. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank Thank you, so Bye.
0: Thank, hey,
1: thank
7: you. Thank you to
1: all.
0: Thank you all. Well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, aren't you glad you're not translating?
10: <laughs> oh, I'm very glad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very
0: much. We all you all be
10: well.
1: You all be well. Take care. You all.
0: Yeah.
2: Thank you. All.